Amen. Amen. Now, another question for you this morning. Um, how many of you have been in church meetings where you couldn't wait till the meeting was done? Because you want to be out the door. <laughs> Probably every single person here. <laughs> have you ever been in a meeting, a church meeting, where you didn't want to leave? It was the opposite. Anyone? You just wanted to stay and then stay longer. And then you wished you could stay even longer. So can someone articulate to us the difference between those two? Like, what was different in those environments? What made you want to stay and what made you want to leave? Okay. Yes, God. Presence of God. Yes, what else? Right? The Holy Spirit moving when God is coming and he's visiting his people. Right? That's what makes the difference. Amen? You know, the more <clears throat> we can open our hearts personally and then corporately to the, to the Holy Spirit moving among us, the more our meetings and our gatherings will be filled with life. Okay? Uh, Jesus in John chapter 6, verse, verse um, 63 said, it is the Spirit who gives life. So without the Holy Spirit, there's no life. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, expounding on 1 Corinthians 14 verse by verse, expositionally. And 1 Corinthians 14 is a chapter that talks about the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, particularly tongues and prophecy in the assembly. Now, it can be an incredible blessing and very powerful to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit openly in the church congregation. Right? We've experienced some of that a little bit. Right? But also, on the flip side, it can be very chaotic and confusing and disorderly. <laughs> and it, if it's done the wrong way, it can cause many of us to have a bit of a distaste for the working of the Spirit and maybe even misunderstand the Spirit. Right? Now, the purpose of the, the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit is to build up the body of believers in their faith and to encourage them <clears throat> And to um, bring to them life, uh, to bring faith, to bring hope. And so when the Spirit is freely moving in our gatherings, um, these are the things that start happening in our hearts. Um, yeah, the more we can open our meetings and our gatherings to the Spirit's working, um, the more uh, our, lives will be filled, our meetings will be filled with life and the monotony and dryness will dissipate. <clears throat> now, part of the... Um, reason I want to go to 1 Corinthians 14, expositionally, verse by verse, is to encourage you as a church and even here as church leaders to step forward, just step by step, in exercising the gifts of the Spirit as a body. Now, <clears throat> sometimes what happens um, in church um, is um, in, in regards to the, renew the renewal of the Holy Spirit is that sometimes individuals begin to experience things from the Lord and gifts from the Holy Spirit from the Lord, right? And <clears throat> as I reflect on my own experience, this brings tremendous change and transformation. Um, but it can also then bring in your heart this deep desire to see more happening in relation to the Spirit working through us as the body, right? And so sometimes when the whole body is a little bit behind our individual experience, we can tend to grow a little bit frustrated with the rest of the body. And then in our frustration, we tend to run ahead or we tend to maybe sometimes jump ship 
into places maybe in other, other places where God is maybe moving in greater measure and greater degree. And so there can come this tension when the spirit is being poured out in the congregation, this, this tension of, of those who uh, maybe are hesitant, those are uncertain, those who have questions, um, th- those who are experiencing the outpouring of the gifts, those who, who maybe are not sure or haven't quite. Um, and so how do we walk through that as a congregation? How do we do that? How do we do that without splitting or dividing or judging each other or, um, or um, maybe lifting our, uh, you know, ourselves above others? How do we do that, guys? Any thoughts? Yes. <laughs> Two services. <laughs> That's a great one. Yes. Yes, that's a good one. Yep. Now, um, actually, the two services is a joke, but sometimes it's actually healthy um, to begin to exercise the gifts in smaller groups, right? And then, especially as a leadership team, and then as we walk into that more as a congregation, we become more familiar in how to operate in the the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, maybe like in prophecy in in the public assembly. And then that way, it just builds our confidence. When we have that experience of doing that safely in a smaller group, we can then bring that into the larger group and do that in a way that's uh, going to bless people and build up the church instead of be chaotic and and, and so forth, right? And so, um, but yes, um, love. Right, so uh, that's that's key. Um, now, <clears throat> I'm actually going to speak on that here as we get into the, the passage. But one th- one thing I want to say too is um, is for us not to be fearful in exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit as the body of Jesus together, corporately, publicly. Um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation in all of the apostolic churches. Right, that's from Hebrews. We read that in Hebrews chapter 2, that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the gifts of the Spirit were poured out, right? Now, think about this, guys. The letters of Paul are generally corrective letters to the churches, right? In how many letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he planted did he have to correct the misuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? All the churches Paul planted, all the letters he wrote, how many of them? Any takers? One, the book of Corinthians, right? What does that tell you about the hope that we have to exercise the gifts of the Spirit in a healthy way? We can do it. You know, it should be normal that the gifts of the Spirit, if, uh, if they're exercised in a healthy biblical New Testament way, will build up the body and expand the kingdom and grow the, the church. That's what we see in Scripture. It's at, it should be, um, the, hope, the hope that we have is that we can do that. And that it, it, it's not going to be divisive or cause um, problems or, or bring disunity, right? It's supposed to create the opposite. Um, and so there's great hope as we look at the scriptures, even in that sense, that the gifts can be exercised. The manifestations of the Spirit can be exercised in the way that builds us up corporately and, and edifies us. And, and then we become everything that Jesus wants us to be as a local body in our local community to, to do God's work and expand the kingdom here locally. And that's what God wants for this church here, all right? That's what he wants to do. And so I just want to encourage you with that. The gifts of the Spirit can be exercised appropriately by individuals and then corporately. That can be done in a way that builds everyone up. Um, so, um, yeah, so let's start our exposition of 1 Corinthians 14, actually back in 1 Corinthians 13. And there's a very good reason why the love chapter is um, sandwiched between two chapters that teach on the gifts, right? So um, remember, and I've mentioned that um, the last two evenings, um, is that the, the great commandment 
comes before the Great Commission and then great, before Pentecost, right? And so love is to be central in um, everything that we do and needs to permeate everything that we do in relation to the gifts. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 13, <clears throat> verse 8, um, if you want to just read through that, um, it, it, as I'm just expounding on it, it says that um, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will pass away. So these are temporary workings of the Holy Spirit. And these are temporary until when? We see Jesus face to face. <clears throat> and so this will happen when the church is gathered together with the Lord Jesus at his return. Now, <clears throat> love will continue to permeate everything, our entire existence eternally. Therefore, it is even greater than the gifts. Now, let me say this. This does not mean that we need to just be loving and not exercise the gifts. I didn't say that. <laughs> right? We should be ideally pursuing both, the gifts exercised in love. Right? And so exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit corporately is God's ideal for his church um, and doing that in love. So in verse 9, uh, Paul says that um, when we prophesy, we're prophesying in part, right? We don't see the whole picture of everything, but we only see a small bit of a particular situation that God has allowed us to see by divine revelation, right? And so in verse 10, the perfect, again, which is uh, to come is Christ face to face. And when he comes, revelatory gifts will no longer be necessary because all things will be revealed. And then in verse, the last verse, um, it says that love is the greatest because it will continue eternally, right? And it will even not just it, it continue eternally, but it will grow and grow and grow in our experience as we experience God eternally. <clears throat> now, I think that's why the thing that should describe us as God's people, the, the one word that should describe us the best is love, especially the love what? Between us. And that's why if we reflect back on the greatest commandment and sometimes the hindrance, there's a hindrance of the Holy Spirit working through us is that if our love is not towards God supremely and that also being expressed in our relationships horizontally, it hinders the Spirit's moving through us and, and, and for us to receive from the Lord because love is the greatest. And so if we're, if we're desiring power from the Holy Spirit or even gifts or manifestations of the Spirit, but we're not taking care of the first thing, which is to love God supremely and to love each other, unconditionally and in, with practical shoes on, then it, it can hinder the spirits moving through us and our effectiveness and, and all of that. Okay, so going on to 1 Corinthians 14, in verse one, I'm not gonna read you the chapter because that would take too long. I'm just gonna, because we're familiar with this chapter, I'm just gonna go to it verse by verse and expound and I'm gonna mention which verses I'm expounding on as I go through it. So in verse one, there's a, a command that we often miss, and it's the command to earnestly desire. And now earnest desire in relation to the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the opposite of carelessness and indifference. Right? I remember praying for someone to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and as I was praying uh, this particular verse over him, that even he would earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, he confessed right away as I was praying that you know, he was actually indifferent to if he would receive anything from God or not. And so sometimes it can be just this indifference, this carelessness. It's like, oh, if God gives, okay, whatever. But if he doesn't, oh, whatever. You know, it's just like this indifference. And we shouldn't be that way. We should have an earnest desire for the workings of the Spirit and the, the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit among us. 
And, and this is a biblical command that's actually disobeyed by countless believers. I disobeyed this command in the scripture for, for many years. Um, and it's often the very reason we're experiencing so little of the spirits working in our own personal life, lives and then also corporately. Um, now, what's the level of desire that you have in your heart to experience the Holy Spirit's work through you? Now, what are the things in life that you're most desiring? What is the center of things you're desiring? Okay. Just questions. Now, in verse 1, we should especially, Paul says, earnestly desire to prophesy. Now, in context, as Paul explains, the this is the church gathering that he's talking about. Now, what is prophecy? Prophecy is not teaching and preaching the Bible. So what I'm doing here this morning is teaching. I'm not right now prophesying to you. <laughs> so prophecy is a message that is received from God through divine um, inspiration or revelation. Right? That's prophecy. And so in verse 2, Paul goes on and he talks about tongues. And Paul defines tongues and he says, tongues is not to men, but to God. And then he gives the, uh, another um, explanation of tongues. And he says that it's Something, it's a language that no one understands him when, he's, when the person is praying in tongues. And what is spoken in the spirit is a mystery. So those three things are important to understand about tongues. Um, that it's not towards men like this. It's not the purpose of tongues. It's the purpose is this way, towards God. <clears throat> now, Acts chapter 2 is not, and I mentioned this, I believe, yesterday. It's not the definition of tongues. It's the recorded experience of the gift of tongues by the disciples. Now, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2 is more of the definition. Um, so what happened on Pentecost, and I'll just repeat this a little bit here for us this morning, as they were gathered together, uh, praying, as they were praying, right, they were praying, their own lips were moving in prayer and thanksgiving and worship to God and thanksgiving and seeking him, the Holy Spirit came and took their utterances in prayer and spoke through them in this, uh, in th these foreign languages. Um, and so now some of these Tongues that were spoken on the day of Pentecost were known to people uh, or to Jews that were from different regions, right? It was a miraculous work of the Spirit, I believe, in interpreting that tongue that was spoken into the, the, um, the language of the hearer. Now, uh, many people believe that this was done for the purpose of evangelizing, but if you read the context carefully, um, they were not evangelizing. They were not preaching. They were in a prayer meeting, right? <clears throat> they were speaking to God, and this multinational crowd overheard them, and what they heard um, was... Um, them speaking in the languages that they were from the regions about the mighty works of God, right? It's not evangelism. And so Paul explains in, in verse 17, we'll get there later, that tongues is generally the giving of thanks towards God. Again, it's towards God. <clears throat> it can also, Paul will later define, be a praise or a song, or it can be declaring his, his mighty works like we see here, and then it can be glorifying him or some other communication, again, that's directed towards God. So again, let me repeat this. Tongues is towards God. It's not towards men or people. And it's for that purpose. <clears throat> and so tongues in general, according to Paul's definition here, uh, is an uh, unknown, mysterious language spoken to the Spirit, spoken through our Spirit, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So um, God can at times give us a tongue Unknown to us, but known to someone else um, in the congregation. Now, that's, I would say, an exception. We see that once in Acts chapter 2, but it's not necessarily the norm. I remember um, the um, 
person, uh, the, the couple that prayed over us, uh, the evening they were praying over us, they shared an experience that um, the wife had, and she had been walking in the gifts of the Spirit for, for 25 years, and it was um, towards, you know, uh, it was a more... Um, experience that happened to her a few years before, but um, in a Sunday morning assembly, uh, she felt prompted in, in the back uh, to come forward at the open time of the service and to sing a, a song in tongues that the Holy Spirit was putting in her heart. Now, if, if you know this, this lady, you, that's not, she's very prim, very proper. <laughs> she would never do something that was not in order. And so even her personality is not to do something like that, <laughs> the way you'd imagine. So um, she went up and, and she started singing the tongue that God had given her spirit to sing in front of the whole congregation. In the back was an exchange student from New Zealand, from the Marai tribe. And she didn't know what she was singing, but it was Marai. And the student, right after the service was closed, came down to the, the, the front and, and met um, this lady and said, how do you know my language? How do you, like, have you been to New Zealand? And she said, I have no, I've never been, I've never spoken this language. I, I don't, I didn't even know what I was speaking. And it was a miraculous uh, tongue that was given um, in another language for the purpose of um, touching someone in the, in, in the congregation. And so, um, but that's the way the Holy Spirit can bless if we're open to the Holy Spirit's moving and we listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit when it's done also in order and not in a, in a, in a sense of, um, done in a chaotic way. And so, um, and so that's more what you see experienced on Pentecost, is the, uh, the tongue that was spoken was either interpreted by the Holy Spirit, which would be more my in interpretation of what happened, or it could just have been simply the languages themselves. Um, and, but later Paul defines tongues as being unknown mysterious languages spoken by our spirit to the spirit. That's the general definition of tongues. <clears throat> now in verse three, Paul begins to um, um, contrast tongues and prophecy by saying that when you're prophesying, you're speaking to who? Right? To, pe to people, right? To men. And so, again, tongues are towards God, and then prophecy is towards men. Now, true prophecy, in verse 3, um, will come in the form of building up, Paul uses three words, encouragement and consolation. And so it's important to deliver prophecy in this way, right? So what are those three, three uh, um, uh, terms? Uh, building up is a word of edification, right? Um, it's a, kind of a construction term. We get that. Some of us work with our hands. We build things. We build, build, maybe build sheds and other things. But this speaks of us being built up, right, um, in the Lord. A word of prophecy will build someone up. It's not going to tear someone down. So when you think of prophecy, building up. It's not going to tear down. That's what it means to edify, build up. Right? Encouragement is exhortation. It's kind of a similar thing. It's like a speech from a coach um, in a locker room right before a big game and to encourage the team to go out and do what they were trained to do. That's kind of like the idea of encouragement. Right? Uh, a word of prophecy will encourage someone. It's not going to discourage them. Okay? So Paul says here. Consolation has the idea of not only comfort, uh, but also of strengthening. Right? It, it doesn't just cry with someone who's hurting. It puts an arm around them and strengthens them to help, help them carry the load. A word of prophecy will strengthen someone. It's not going to weaken someone, right? Okay, so that's the effect of prophecy, and that's the way it should be delivered as God speaks and so, uh, to us as we give that to others. And prophecies that are delivered, maybe in the opposite way, are maybe not being delivered properly, or sometimes maybe we're not hearing the right thing. And so we should just um, maybe acknowledge that. And so, um, now this does not mean that prophecy cannot re rebuke sin or reveal sin. Um, 
but it rather means that the way it will happen is through a form of encouragement for the person to turn away from their sin, right? It's not going to come with condemnation and leave that person in a place of hopelessness with no way out, okay? That's important to understand in prophecy. Now, let me give you a personal example. This is quite personal for me. But when I was in, in Greece, um, so about going back three years ago, um, one of the things I, um, I used to do was um, I used to trade cryptocurrencies a bit. Anybody done that? Okay. Bitcoin, Ethereum, those kinds of things. So um, I was... Um, starting to do, I had spent a few years learning how to do that in just my spare time. I was intrigued by uh, blockchain technology. And so um, I started um, playing around with that my laptop in my spare time. And I learned to do some leverage trading. And I was just starting to do this. But with the problem that was happening is it, and if anyone has ever done trading, especially leverage trading, you know that it takes up everything up here, literally, because of the way just that, that works. And so uh, what was happening to me, uh, God had called me to, to do the work of the gospel and I was taking my spare time and all my mind, mind time up here and I was giving it to the pursuit of trading cryptocurrencies with the hopes of making lots of money. Um, and so it, what had snuck into my heart was a, a bit of covetousness, uh, maybe a little bit more than just a bit. <laughs> but, um, and, but I had mixed that together with the right motive because we as Christians know how to do that. You know, Jesus, I'm going to use that for your, for your glory. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, maybe I can use it to support myself and all those things. But it's mixed motives, right? And so the Holy Spirit is very good at just, you know, cutting into the heart in that way. And so, so I was doing this, right? And, um, and really, it was distracting me. It was distracting me in, in the calling that God had for me to evangelize, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to pray for the sick on the streets, to do the work of the kingdom. Instead, in the evenings when, when I was supposed to be doing some of that, I would go do that. And so... Um, there was a particular um, uh, member uh, uh, um, in our team who um, had come to faith in Christ just some, some time before then, had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and had received um, various gifts. One of them was, was prophecy. And um, she would teach us, she was one of the, the individuals who taught us uh, uh, Dari and uh, Farsi, and she would come to our house a few times a week and do that. And so, and the, this family had lived with us too in our house for several months and so forth. And, but anyways, um, one day when, when this person came to our house and was teaching a class, I realized something's not something's not quite, um, like she felt a little uneasy. And so after the, the class, uh, she said, I have something to share with you, Eric. And so um, I said, yeah, you, you can share that. And so she said, Eric, I, I had a dream last night. And in the dream, there was this, it was, everything was dark and this, the water was dark. And that you were standing in the water. And as the sea was raging, you were sitting down and down, down into this water, this dark abyss of water, going down, down, down into it. And I woke up in this feeling, in my stomach was like, something's really wrong. And I asked the Holy Spirit, what, what, what is wrong? What, what is, Eric must be doing something wrong. What is it? And the, oh, then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, money. And, and she said, I don't. And, and I said, Lord, that can't, it can't be money. Jesus, Jesus, Eric is here serving as a missionary. He doesn't, he's not pursuing money. But he said, money. And he said, money again. And I, I don't know what it means, but I just want to share it with you. And when she said that, I, I was at the table. I just put my hands up. I said, I've been caught. <laughs> I'm sorry. And so I explained to her what I was doing in my spare time. I said, I've been pursuing money. And I've had a little covetous to sneak into my heart. And I would like to repent right here, right now. We're gonna pray, you're going to pray for, you, for me, and I'm going to pray too. And I'm going to repent of the covetousness, covetousness that's crept in my heart. I'm going to stop crypto trading from that day and close all my accounts. In Jesus' name, I'm going to do that. So that's what we did. We prayed. I repented. And I closed on my um, trading account. And I, haven't, I did a little bit of 
it was a bit of an emotional one for me for a bit. And so I, I, I closed down things in the process, but I haven't traded crypto for a few years. And so um, the, the beauty of that story is that at the same time, I, it was very difficult for me because I had spent years learning how to do this. I thought I could use it in some ways. And so I was really wrestling with the Lord. And so uh, I spent some time actually fasting and praying about this in relation to, because it was connected to our visas. We didn't have visas. And, and one of the ways we could do it is invest money in Greece and so forth. And so, so we're possibly going to go back from Greece without a visa in a few months, like nine months from then. And so I was really praying and fasting and saying, Lord, do you want us in Greece? I don't know how to be here past the next nine months when our visas will expire. And so... Um, Anyways, during that time of prayer and fasting, I didn't necessarily hear anything from the Lord, but what happened is that around the same time, back in the States, someone had a dream. And in, and <clears throat> in that, so this person was, guess what he was doing in his spare time? Yes. That's why he was trading crypto. And he had put a whole bunch, half 50% of his earnings into a separate account to give away for the work of the gospel. I had no idea about this. So, he, so he, in his dream, um, in this person's dream, it's actually his wife, um, God told him, said, take that money that you've put in that account and give it to Eric and Kate for the work of the ministry in Athens. He calls me and says, Eric, how, Eric how's everything going? How are you doing? And, um, and then he, um, I just tell him what's going on, tell him what's going on in my heart and how the Lord, uh, you know, prophetically re revealed that was being covetous in this area of crypto trading. I'm not doing it anymore. And it's been a little bit difficult and so forth, but I'm, I'm going to walk in obedience to, it, obedience to what Jesus told me to do. And so I'm going to do that. And he said, well, Eric, that's interesting because here's this, let me share with you what God spoke to us as a family. And so he shared that. And I was like, no, I always dropped my phone. He's like, are you, are, are you serious? Are you like... You're not joking. It's like, yeah, no, I, I want to give you everything I've saved up. And it was enough money at, at that point for our visas. Everything we needed, guys. You see, so prophecy, it's not tearing down. Okay, there's even in God's heart in prophetically revealing sin in our hearts. What did, how does he do that? With grace, with love and tenderness to build us up and give us hope. It's so beautiful. And not only that, it comes often with lavish grace. And you know what happens? We fall in love with Jesus even more. And say, Jesus, I want to serve you more committed. I want to serve you more surrendered. I want to serve you with more passion. I believe that you will be, you know, the areas I didn't trust you in provision, I'm going to trust you even more. Amen. You see, prophecy, how beautiful it is, how restoring. That's an example. So um, now in verse four, um, um, Paul says that <clears throat> tongues is for building yourself up in the faith. Um, then, uh, so, so then we understand that prophecy helps to build um, up others, right? So um, tongues for building yourself up and prophesy, prophesying to help build up others. Now, I remember one, one person one, one time telling me, isn't it selfish to want to pray in tongues and just build up yourself? Well, if you're building yourself up, do you think if you're being built up in the faith, you'll be uh, an encouragement to the rest of the body? Someone who's full of faith and full of encouragement? Is that selfish to be full of encouragement and faith so that you can be blessing to others? No, that's amazing. Even self-edification can be for the edification of the body. Right? If all of us are encouraged and encouraging each other, doesn't that, isn't, wouldn't that be an amazing place to, to, to be? Is like where everyone's encouraged and encouraging and blessing each other? Amen, right? So tongues in that sense of building ourselves up is very important because through building ourselves up, we build up the body by doing that. Now, <clears throat> verse um, five, Paul says he wanted everyone to speak in tongues but even more for them to prophesy. Again, this is the context here is um, the, the assembly. Now, one thing I've asked myself is why would Paul want something for everyone if they couldn't receive it? Um, but in any case, that's still a question that remains. So um, 
But Paul does say prophecy uh, in the assembly is more desirable than tongues because it builds up others instead of yourself. And so um, in chapter 12, Paul asks the question, um, you're reading from chapter 12 further down, do all speak in tongues? Well, the supposed answer to that is supposed to be no, right? And then in the first verse of chapter 14, Paul encourages us to pursue spiritual gifts, right? And then explains to to the Corinthians that he wishes them all to speak in tongues, right? The verse I just read or that we were just going through, right? now, I think the way this is supposed to work is that, um, you know, sometimes God puts a desire for a particular gift in our heart. I think we can pray for that. And we can even keep praying until God gives. And we can do that with a sense of not desperation or resentment towards God, but just faith in our hearts that what God wants to give. And then also release that to the Lord if he doesn't give. But I remember one particular um, situation in Athens. We were having this bit of a renewal weekend at our house. There's a bunch of different people coming from um, uh, to, from different places in, in Greece. And it was a beautiful weekend of the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's one individual there who was leading uh, an um, helping lead an organization. And he had been in a, 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 a church where there was, you know, the gifts of the Spirit were more commonly exercised. And in one of the meetings, he, uh, where people were praying for, for, um, uh, for others to be baptized in the Spirit, he felt like God told him, well, in, in the, in, when someone was praying for him, that, that the gift of tongues was not for him. And it was for someone else, but he got to give him other gifts. And so for, for years, he just said, okay, the gift of tongues is not for me. And so that, that weekend, um, he just felt like he wanted prayer to receive more from the Lord. And so we laid hands on him and prayed for him. And as soon as we laid hands and prayed for him, start praying in tongues over him, start praying in tongues. So I think um, sometimes, um, you know, what's important is to earnest desire. And God works through earnest desire to pour into our lives the things that he puts in our hearts to desire for his glory. And so we can ask the Lord and keep asking him. Um, if there's that desire in our hearts for a particular way that we want God to work through our hearts to glorify himself and, his, and to build up his body. Um, now, in verses 6 down to 11, right, Paul uses this example of musical instruments. And um, now he, he mentions uh, these mus- musical instruments or a musical instrument, if it's just like playing one note, right? If it's doing that, how is it um, helpful? Well, actually, it's unhelpful because nobody understands uh, what is being played, right? It's like if someone's playing a, a keyboard and just goes, Duh, like, what song is that? What are, we, what are we all supposed to do now, right? But if it's like, whatever, you know, um, then all of a sudden we know, okay, now we, the song, and we can start participating, all of us can start contributing. So this is the example that Paul here is using um, in, the, in the sense of, um, you know, a, a instrument. If just one note is being played, it's not helpful, right? And so he likens that to tongues being prayed in the public assembly, addressed um, to everyone loudly um, with, without um, interpretation. And so um, in verse 9, Paul again describes um, tongues as being unintelligible speech, right? So that's connected to um, verse 2. But again, tongues are not known languages. Tongues is unintelligible speech. It's unknown languages that the Spirit is praying through our spirit. And so we see that in verse 9. Paul uses that word unintelligible uh, to define tongues and to help us understand what tongues is. Um, So now in verse 12, Paul recognizes the eagerness of the Corinthians for the manifestations of the Spirit among them. Now, even though things were not being done in an orderly and proper way, what does Paul do? He does not belittle them for their eager desire and their desire to see the manifestations of the Spirit among them. Even when it's being done in a... um, unhealthy way. You know, 
because sometimes it's easier to guide a fire than it is to start one. <laughs> right, so I think Paul knows this, and so he's not belittling them or discouraging them. And so I think it's good and healthy to, to, to desire the Spirit's manifestations among us. This is good, right? So, but Paul encourages um, us um, and, and the believers here in Corinth to do that in a way that, ex, that, ex, um, um, that, that builds up the body of Jesus, right? Now, sometimes in church, um, we, we've heard, I mean, I've heard this um, um, growing up in church that we should uh, desire just the seeker, but not so much the gifts. I would just encourage us to do both, right? D- d- seek the giver, but also seek the gifts that the giver wants to give us. Because the gifts, gifts of and of themselves are, th- are things that someone always gives from the goodness of his heart towards us, right? Or to, to you, right? If someone gives you a gift, why are they giving that gift? They're doing it because they genuinely appreciate you and want to give you something, right? From the goodness of their heart, right? So the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit are given from the goodness of God's heart to us. And so um, as we seek him, let's also seek the gifts that he wants to give us. Now, but let's not become imbalanced in that. Let's seek both the gift and the giver, right? Together, both together. So um, now in verse 13, um, one way uh, to build up the church to the gift of tongues um, is for the one who prays in tongues to pray for the gift of interpretation. Now, remember the first time we experienced this in Greece was actually with our Afghan and Persian team. Um, we have been praying and the gifts of the Spirit were being poured out and all of us were um, in some measure exercising the gifts of the Spirit as a team together and God was doing very many powerful things on a regular basis through that, that particular team, especially the last year of our time in Greece. And so, But in one of our particular uh, team meetings, we had not experienced the gift of interpretation yet, but... Um, but God had given the gift. And so um, we, um, I was actually teaching through 1 Corinthians 14 for a few weeks, expositionally, verse by verse, in our small leadership team. And then we were practicing afterwards the exercising of the gifts. And so we got to interpretation and I explained what the gift of interpretation is. And so the, the one person said, you know, I think I'm actually receiving the, the, the interpretation of tongues as we're praying. In fact, when that person prays and prayed today, I've received the interpretation of that person, but, um, but I, I'm afraid and, and, and I don't know you know, I'm not sure, and so I, 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 I've been afraid to just share what I feel like God is saying to the Spirit. Um, and so I said, well, what we can do is just, why don't we just pray for the fear and pray for that to go away in Jesus' name? And then what we're going to do is we're just going to pray, some of us in tongues, and then you share what you, you feel like the Spirit has given you in, this, in your spirit as far as the interpretation goes. So that's what we did. We prayed against the fear, and then we took turns, two or three of us praying in tongues, and then she gave the interpretation for two of those people. And it was very encouraging, and it, was, it built us up, and there was uh, just a sense of, ex- uh, of excitement in what, even what God was saying. It was, and the, the interpretation was towards God. It was blessing the tongues that were being prayed, was blessing towards God and honoring and, and glorifying Him. And so it was beautiful to see uh, that, uh, you know, that gift at work and the freedom it brought, even in our meeting and our gathering together, and the faith and confidence. And even the, in one particular person, faith and confidence in the gift of tongues that that person possessed. Right? So, um, yeah. Now, in verse 14, um, Paul gives further explanation of tongues, right? And I mentioned this already, but when we pray in tongues, our spirit is praying. And, but Paul says it's our spirit that prays, um, not our mind, right? And so we can do both, right? Um, we can pray with our mind, right? So in English, if we speak English, we pray with our mind. And then we can pray with our spirit, which is not in English, which is an unknown tongue praying from our spirit through uh, by the Holy Spirit. Now, this does not mean that your mind is shut off, right? Uh, when you're praying in tongues, because you can still think as you're praying in tongues, 
right? Um, your mind isn't fruitful. Paul uses the word unfruitful, but it's unfruitful in the sense that tongues does not originate from here, right? Doesn't originate from the mind as you're praying. It originates from the spirit, right? So our, when we're praying in the spirit, our mind is unfruitful in the sense that it's not the origin, it's not the source of tongues as we're praying, right? Now, so this idea of praying in tongues, like how, how is it helpful to pray a bunch of things in some unknown, possibly heavenly language that nobody understands? <laughs> um, well, in Romans, I think Paul is um, explaining um, tongues when he says it's our, um, the passage where the, the Spirit is making intercessions with groanings and utterings through us, um, and that's being done according, the Spirit knows the mind of the Father. And so I think what Paul is trying to um, um, get at is that the tongues or the Spirit praying through us in these utterances is intercessions of the Spirit uh, through us to God. Now, in 1 John 5, um, John says in relation to answer prayer that if um, we... Um, pray anything in his name, in Jesus' name. We know that he hears us. And if we know if God hears us, we have the petitions that we've asked of him. Um, if we ask anything according to his will, is, is, is in the context there. And so we know that if we pray things in Jesus' name according to his will, um, then we know God hears us and our prayers will be answered, right? So the Spirit knows perfectly what is the will of the Father and the mind of the Father. And so as the Spirit is praying, uh, not even just through thanksgiving, but as he's praying towards God, the spirit can pray according to the will of God. And what happens when we're praying in tongues, and I've seen this, is God's will begins to be done in situations, in miraculous ways. And let me give an example. So one particular instance, we're praying for a, 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 someone, in, this was in Greece, and, and the person had come from an extremely traumatic background, um, had faced things that no person should ever face in life. And um, because of that, she, she was doubting. Her, she, she had put her faith in Jesus, but she was doubting God's goodness or where God was in her suffering or how that even all of that made sense. Like, if God is real, why didn't he interject in my suffering and take me out of it if he could have when all these things were happening to me? And there was this real faith crisis where she was expressing, I remember the time she was sharing these things, it was like tears and saying, I, I have faith, but I'm really struggling. And so we remember my wife and I praying, uh, just laying hands on her, praying for her. And at some point in situations like this, you, you don't know what to pray anymore. It's like, okay, well, I've finished up here with what I know how to pray. And so we just started praying in tongues, just started ministering in tongues. Um, and what happened is as we were praying in tongues, she, all of a sudden, her whole face and demeanor changed and she started speaking to someone. And after a while, uh, when she, 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 um, she opened her eyes, she said, Jesus, Jesus came, Jesus came into the room and he came up to me and he put his hand on me and he spoke to me. And it was like the, 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 the holiness of God just filled that room. <laughs> and something was healed in her heart that day that I, I don't know that me giving advice or telling her how to deal with this or that could have ever done. But Jesus himself had revealed himself to her and had met her deepest need. And that was a, a turning point in her life, in her faith towards Jesus and towards God. You see, when we couldn't pray anymore, we prayed in the Spirit. And the Spirit made intercessions according to what he knew was the will of the Father for her. And he did it by revealing, who, revealing himself, Jesus, to her in a physical way so that her faith could rest in him. Isn't that beautiful? That's the power of, of the gift of tongues. We shouldn't diminish that gift. 
Which, and so when Paul says, I would pray with my mind and pray with my spirit also, there's no situation where it's inappropriate to pray um, in, with the spirit. Um, um, there's no situation where we shouldn't be able to pray in the spirit when we can pray with our mind also. The only thing Paul is saying here in the context of this chapter is maybe someone praying in the spirit or speaking in the spirit and addressing the entire assembly without interpretation. Right? We'll get to that a bit later and explain that a little bit more even because it's not exactly even quite like that. But, um, but if you're praying for someone right, with your mind, it's okay to also pray for them in the spirit. Let the Holy Spirit minister through you and, and see it according to the will of the Father for that person. Right? That's very, it's a very beautiful gift. It's very powerful. And um, I mentioned the other night that in the last two years, we've seen that happen like four times. Every time in relation to just laying hands on people. After we finish praying with our mind and praying in tongues, and then Jesus appears to people through those prayers as the Spirit makes intercession. I, I, before I prayed in tongues, I never saw things like this happen. My entire life. And every single instance, it was transforming, radically transforming for the individuals that, 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 that had that encounter. And um, all of those people actually later um, received the gift of tongues themselves um, as we're praying and ministering to them in tongues. And so, um, yeah, so... Um, the power of praying in the Spirit. <clears throat> so in verse 15, there are various ways in which the um, gift of tongues can be exercised, right? Um, there is speaking in tongues, there is praying in tongues, there's singing in tongues, right? So it's all the same gift, gifts of diverse tongues, um, but that can be expressed in singing and prayer and in speaking, right? And so singing in tongues is quite beautiful. I remember the first night I experienced the gift of tongues. One of my first desires of my heart was just to sing and praise and worship God and start singing in tongues. It was very beautiful. And I remember um, one young lady that had received that gift and had dramatically impacted her life, and she was uh, gifted in, worship, in leading music um, and worship, uh, worshiping the, the Lord with music. She would write songs, and then she, she, she'd sent us one song, and then in between the verses, she would sing in tongues. And there was just this just beauty in that, and the, the freedom in, in the worship, to worship with our mind, and then to worship in the Spirit, and the, in, the intermingling of that. And it just even listening to that, just, the Spirit ministered to my wife and I and encouraged us deeply. Um, but there's such a, a beauty in worship even, in singing in tongues, when that can be done in a, not in an obnoxious way, but just in a gentle, worshipful way that exalts Jesus, in which the Spirit is freely flowing and ministering among us as the congregation, right, in worship. And so, um, but Paul mentions praying, speaking, and singing in tongues. Uh, verse 15 to 19, Paul's main point, uh, again, is in church, that phrase, in church, right? Um, it's, it's better, again, to speak to each other in ways that we can understand, <laughs> Right, if I just stood up here the last 45 minutes just speaking in tongues, how many of you would be uncomfortable by now? <laughs> right, just, that's what he's getting at. Right? It's like much better to speak with understanding if you're going to be speaking in front of everyone. <laughs> um, so now going on to verse 20 to 25, um, this section can be a little bit hard to understand. Right? Who's struggling with reading this passage going, I'm not sure what Paul is trying to get out of here? Because right, it seems like this should be switched. Right? So let's go through this a little bit. So Paul says here that tongues is a sign for unbelievers and prophecy is for believers, okay? Now, in your Bible, it says a sign for believers. Now, if you note in the original Greek, the word a sign is actually not in the text. It's added by the translators to give flow to the passage, right? So it would read, tongues is a sign for unbelievers and prophecy for believers is the actual reading of the text. 
Um, now, a way to understand this passage, I'm going to su suggest an interpretation of this, is when Paul quotes um, Isaiah 28, that's the passage he quotes in this context, verse 11, he's referring to a sign, the sign of tongues, um, unknown tongues, in a negative sense. It's actually negative, right? The context is, uh, the larger context of Isaiah 28 is that there are foreign armies who are invading Israel, and they're bringing God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. So in this case, these unknown tongues that were sp spoken by these foreign invaders um, were a negative sign of God's judgment upon Israel his people, right? Now, I think what, what Paul is getting at, that when unbelievers hear tongues, often they reject it, they mock it. And this was actually the case for some on the day of Pentecost, right? It's exactly what happened. And what, what that shows is their lack of understanding of the workings of God's spirit and is the evident, um, is some evidence of the measure of ju the judgment of God that they're under. The lack of understanding of God's moving and of his spirit and, and their, their own unwillingness to submit and to surrender to the working of the spirit and to even begin to perceive it. Now, <clears throat> again, signs can be, um, in scripture, can be both positive and then can be negative, right? For example, in Joel 31, this is right after the passage about, you know, the outpouring of the spirit in the last days and, and to the gift of prophecy and, and, and all of that. Um, it switches the passage, Joel's prophecy, and Joel mentions the sun being turned to darkness. And I would maybe submit that the, the, that sign is not necessarily a positive sign. The context, if you read further, it's a sign of judgment, right? Now, um, prophecy, um, when Paul says prophecy, and if you take out the sign, prophecy is for believers, I think what Paul is saying is that um, prophecy is for believers to exercise. Right? When believers exercise the gift of prophecy, you have the effects that Paul describes later down in verse 24, when unbelievers fall on their faces right, and they worship God because he is among you. Now, tongues, again, on the other hand, will have the negative effect, especially on unbelievers, and make them think that you're out of your mind and you're crazy. Like you, if you guys are praying in tongues publicly here out loud, everyone's doing that, and some unbeliever comes in, they'll think you've, you're, like you're crazy. Right? <laughs> and I think that's what Paul is saying, and, and that's a negative sign for them. It's not a positive sign. Because their response to saying you're crazy shows how out of touch and far away they are from God himself inhabiting them and moving through them, right? Unfortunately, guys, sometimes in the church we have some of the same attitudes towards tongues, right? Now, looking at verse 24, the effects of prophecy can be very powerful. I've seen people breaking break down in tears, just the presence of God, just the revelation of God, the grace of God, um, and overcome with God's love because the secrets of their hearts are being revealed in a positive way through prophecy, right? The example I gave of my own story, right? Um, now, God, I want to say this with prophecy. God doesn't reveal the secrets of our hearts in a shameful way. He doesn't do that. So don't be afraid of prophecy. I had this idea when I first was among people who were exercising the gifts um, that as soon as someone would prophesy over me, God would somehow come in with the Holy Spirit and just nitpick some little part of my life and, and publicly shame me for something I was doing wrong. And I was terrified almost of having someone prophesy over me in that sense, because I didn't want to be publicly shamed. I didn't want to have my sin publicly revealed. I mean, I didn't know if I had anything. I didn't think I had anything, but maybe I did. And I think part of that came from being in church environments where the, the emphasis of the working of the Spirit was primarily understood to be the convicting of the Spirit. And if that's the, the, the way we perceive and grow up in church, that the only function that the Holy Spirit has in our meetings is to convict us, then that's the way we begin to think that he'll show up all the time. 
that he's just, all he's concerned about is just convicting me a little bit so that I change a little bit of my life. And then my perception was a little bit more at that season of my life was, um, the purpose of that was that if I would just change a little bit in my heart, a little bit to be more like Jesus in the area that I wasn't quite like him, then I would be more able to be used by God. Right? And so I would always come to church with this expectation of the spirit to convict me and, and do something, point something out wrong in my heart so that hopefully I could change that. And then I could be more like Jesus. And then maybe I'll be more effective and powerful to be used by Jesus to serve him. Right? It's a misunderstanding of the, the nature and the work of the minister of the Holy Spirit. He's not just the convictor. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit is sent to convict who of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Primarily, the context, again, interpreting scripture in context. The world, are you, are you the world? No, you're the church, right? That doesn't mean, again, that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to convict believers, but primarily, um, I believe actually that the Holy Spirit wants to convict the world through the church of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I believe that um, might be the greater context, if I'm not mistaken. But um, <clears throat> Now, those of you who have exercised the gift of prophecy, right, hearing God's divine revelation and giving that to others, have probably seen this happen, where prophecy is not shameful, but it's building up and it's encouraging, it's bringing comfort in people's lives. Um, again, the, the encouragement here in verse 24, um, in the context of even unbelievers coming in, is that if the gift of prophecy, again, if the gifts of spirit are flowing, we're open, we're not reserved, we're, but they're flowing in a healthy way, people will fall on their faces before God and worship him because people are going to pray over them and prophesy over them and the secrets of their hearts will be revealed. Guys, do you want that in your church? I've seen, I've seen that happen to some measure, small way. I want to see that more, Right? I want to see that more. Unbelievers, right? We, um, in our services in Greece, we had um, that happened quite a bit. Unbelievers would come into the service, Muslims particularly. Now, in verse, verses um, 26 down to 33, um, these, these verses are Paul, some of Paul's final applications of everything he's been teaching um, regarding the exercise and the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit in the body. And they're key to understanding all of Paul's instructions um, in this entire chapter. Now, let me explain a little bit um, verse, verses 26, right? And the context of maybe uh, apostolic service in, that was po possibly back then happening in the house, right? But what, you would have hap what, he, what Paul is saying here is um, the way maybe services would have been conducted is that um, there would be this gathering together and then a hymn, someone would lead a hymn, right? And then the congregation would join in with the singing of the same, right? And then someone would have um, a lesson. Hey, I have a lesson from the Lord. Maybe that was prepared. Maybe it was spontaneous, probably prepared. Um, and, and, and so that the person would give that lesson or, or a teaching, right? And then there'd be a time of hearing the Lord's voice and then there'd be a revelation from the Lord, right? And then the person would speak. But again, the, the hymn, when it was given, it was led by a person. And then the same with the lesson. You, you know, if I'm teaching here now. And so people are you're paying attention to what I'm saying, right? And then uh, if someone would stand up and give a revelation, we give attention to the, to the person speaking, giving that revelation, right? So it's like a main portion, main portions of the service, right? That's happening here that Paul is defining. And then a, a tongue. Uh-oh. This is, it gets uncomfortable, right? <laughs> it's like, so Paul is actually putting a tongue, an unknown tongue in the middle of like a main part of the service. So that's part of the apostolic, it's part of the apostolic service. It's like, okay, someone is, just as someone is leading a hymn, someone, like we're leading worship this morning, and then someone's, I'm giving a lesson, then someone comes and he feels there's a tongue in his heart, or maybe it's not just feeling, but he wants to pray to see if God gives his interpretation. And then as a main portion, addressing the entire assembly, a tongue is given. And then what's after a tongue? An interpretation, right? Addressing the tongue that was given in public in front of the whole assembly. All right, so Paul is saying that this is the nature of, the, of an apostolic type service in, in the New Testament, right? Now, how many of you are, are comfortable with the first few and then when you get to tongue, you start getting, oh, that's very uncomfortable. 
<laughs> Somewhat, right? Yeah. I understand. Now, <clears throat> reading in verse 27, if you skim over that, right? Um, if tongues are going to be put into the service as a main part of the, of, of the service, so if I'm going to now address the congregation in tongues, right? If I would do that, and that's what we do here. Um, Paul says that the most two or three people should publicly speak in tongues, okay? Now, each in turn, and after each person takes a turn, there should be a pause to see if God has given supernatural interpretation to someone, right? That is the, the someone who is giving the tongue. Now, <clears throat> um, Paul says here that this should be at the most three people, right? Um, if there's no interpretation. So meaning um, three people can do it. And at the most, if there's... Th after three people and there's no interpretation, okay, then we shouldn't be speaking in, in tongues, public addressing the whole assembly. So Paul is not saying, um, don't pray in tongues if you don't know if you have the gift of interpretation. Okay, does that make sense? He says, do it as a main part of your, of your gathering, and then at the most, two people, maybe three, if after each time there's no interpretation. Right? And some people would say, okay, well, if there's interpretation, that number gets reset. <laughs> Second to two or three. Okay, maybe. But in any case, the point is, that's not the point. The point is more that the gift of tongues can be publicly exercised in the assembly up to two or three people without there being interpretation. But, and so the question here that we have to under, maybe wrestle with is, how can we have interpretation of tongues addressing the whole assembly if tongues isn't given in context of the whole assembly? You never have it. It's impossible. Right? T interpretation cannot be given before tongue is given. <laughs> it's not the way the gift of interpretation works, right? Um, and so if you never exercise the gift of tongues in public, even addressing the whole assembly, it will never experience the public interpretation of tongues. Now, if as a congregation we're kind of new to that, it might be best to do that in small groups until there's confidence and faith in that area and we experience that person and then and maybe doing it in the larger assembly, right? That might be advisable. Now, in, in action in Greece, in, in our three years of working there in church planting, in all our meetings um, on Sunday, our larger gatherings, we actually never spoke in tongues public addressing the whole assembly. And the reason why um, is because, again, tongues is towards God, um, not towards people. But even the interpretation would be uh, towards God. It would be a blessing, a praise, a thanksgiving, generally speaking. Making generalities here, according to God's word, right? But um, what, what, I, what we realized is that Almost every Sunday, we would have Muslims in the service. We'd have uh, unbelievers in the service. And so it wouldn't be advantageous to be addressing uh, the entire congregation if there was like 50% of the crowd was unbelievers. It was much better to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to teach God's word in a way that they could understand and receive and then commit their lives to following Jesus. And then afterwards, to the Spirit's outpouring, understand the gifts of the Spirit, right? And so... Um, I would recommend that. If you're in a mission context, like where we were, there's lots of unbelievers, or maybe you're a mission church somewhere, maybe be careful with exercising that particular gift um, in public as far as addressing the whole assembly, right? Um, yes, so in verse, verse 28, um, if there's no one to interpret, let him keep silent and speak to himself and to God. Now, I have a question here, what Paul is saying. How do you keep silent and speak at the same time? Have you ever tried that? <laughs> well, I think and this is helpful, okay? Because uh, what Paul, the context is Paul is saying, um, be silent in which way? What's the context? 
in addressing the entire assembly. But speak to who? Yourself and to God, right? This way, just you and God. Not this way, but this way and up, right? Um, now, <clears throat> now, I would actually um, encourage you as a congregation, and those of you who have the gift of tongues here in this church, to do what Paul says. <clears throat> I would actually encourage you to, um, um, uh, especially in times of prayer and uh, times of worship, to pray in tongues in towards the Lord, not addressing the main assembly, Right? Not addressing your neighbor, <laughs> but addressing you and the Lord, just quietly under your breath, praying in tongues. That's appropriate. That's okay. Paul says here, don't be silent in the sense of addressing the entire assembly, but speak to yourself and to God. So pray in tongues quietly enough that you're not addressing the person beside you, not addressing the entire assembly, but addressing the Lord in tongues. And it's, that's, again, that's beautiful because, again, the Spirit is making intercessions according to the will of God through you. And the, 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 I've been in meetings, again, in seasons and times where there's freedom in this, and it brings the presence of the Holy Spirit in ways that I've not experienced in other places. It's just where there's freedom. The Spirit just can show up, and people are touched and, and even heal physically and, and just randomly without even prayer. Or gifts are poured out. People start spontaneously praying in tongues in the service without even laying hands on them because there's a freedom to move in the Spirit. We're not quenching the Spirit. We're not saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can't do this. No, not this. We're just doing it in an orderly way, the way Paul instructs, not quenching the Spirit, but we're doing it with openness and a freedom towards the Spirit moving, right? Now, in verse 29, um, Paul shares an important principle in relation to prophecy. Then he says this, he says that prophecy should be weighed or judged. Maybe your translation says it differently. Now, how do we weigh a prophecy um, or judge a prophecy? The way we can do that is when a word is given is to, maybe in the context of assembly or a group, is we, we pray, we ask God to speak to us, give us a word of prophecy for the particular situation we're praying into or for the person. And then when the, per, for the person speaks, um, the, the word that he senses God has given for that person, you can, we can ask, okay, has anybody else received a word uh, for that person um, that uh, is connected to this word? Um, and, and if there's confirmation, two or three words of the same nature, then we know that God is speaking into that situation, not just by one witness, but by more than one witness. And so, um, and you know, we, we can, that's one way of weighing prophecy. Um, uh, and I've seen that happen in very, very beautiful ways as we've exercised that together in, in, in different places. Um, and it's so beautiful that when we give space for prophecy to be weighed, that the Holy Spirit many times, the majority of the time, will confirm. So he'll give a scripture to someone, then he'll give a picture to someone, and then he'll give a, um, a, just a rima. And they all will connect to the same theme about the particular situation. Then you know God is speaking and directing you in a certain way. And it's safe because there's multiple confirmation of the same thing that God is doing, right? And so, um, now another way to weigh prophecy or to judge it is when you give a prophecy or word of knowledge to someone, um, you can ask the person, instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, right? You can say, this is what I sense God is speaking. Um, does that resonate with your life or what you're facing? Right? Let the person weigh what is being said. Don't just say it in a way that um, 
that if you don't agree with me, you're not spiritual. You're not as spiritual as I do because I hear from the Lord and I'm hearing from the Lord and you're not and you should just listen to me. Like, don't use prophecy in that kind of way that is manipulative and controlling someone. D- deliver it in, with a, in a way that allows for it to be weighed. Okay, that's very important. Um, in fact, use a tone of voice in, 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 in the way you convey it, in the way that allows for the other person to um, be comfortable to say, well, maybe, maybe, no, that doesn't resonate with me. That's okay too. It's okay. It's okay because sometimes we, we don't hear things right. And so if we de- deliver that in a way that is, can be weighed by the other person that's receiving it, we give an escape for both of us. <laughs> for the person not to be bound by something that might not be from the Lord or myself if I've maybe not heard something right, right? And then I can be released because I didn't deliver it in a way that I had to be right, right? And so we can weigh prophecy either by multiple witnesses. We can weigh prophecy by giving in a way to an individual in which that person can weigh, weigh that prophecy and it can be received or it can be said in a way that, you know, I don't think that resonates with me. And I've had that happen. I, you know, I felt like I had something to share with someone and the person said, no, that, that doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't make sense. I said, okay, that's fine. Uh, maybe it was a miss for me. And so, um, but I'll keep going. I keep trying to hear God's voice and, and give that to others. And so, but that's okay. It's okay to uh, sometimes not uh, hear God's voice uh, uh, properly. In fact, in, in the book of Samuel, it says that uh, Samuel the prophet, that none of his words fell to the ground. Insinuates that some of the prophets, their words fell to the ground. So um, sometimes even uh, those who are prophesying can miss and not be right. And, and again, when we have and give the ability for a word um, to, be pro- uh, to be judged and weighed, it brings safety. Okay? And in fact, if you do it this way, if you, if you weigh prophecy, um, it will actually increase your exercising of the gift of prophecy. It will increase because you will feel safe. And you'll, you'll, you'll give more to each other instead of less. And God can speak even more through that because that gift is, is being exercised even more with more faith and because it's safe and it's being judged and it's not being used in a way that is controlling or manipulative. Now, Paul's teaching, just you know, kind of in the context here, verse uh, in chapter 14, is that... Um, these things that he mentions are general principles to guide tongues and to guide prophecy in the assembly. Um, these are not legalistic rules to enforce. Yeah. The, the heart behind Paul's instruction to see, is to see the church built up and edified. Now, <clears throat> sometimes people misunderstand Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 14 and apply it very rigidly and very legalistically. This is often done by people who have very little personal experience in the working and the flowing and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so let's be careful not to do that because it just quenches the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 33, um, 34 and down to 39. Um, you know, I'm, I was going to comment on these verses. They're connected more to um, the women's ministry in the church. But what I'm going to do, actually, because of time, I'm going to skip over this portion in my notes. Um, we can talk about it later if you have questions about that. Um, but it just I think um, it's important that men and women contribute in the service. Um, it's good for men and women to do that. Um, and um, in fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, talks about women praying and prophesying in the service. And so women should be contributing in the service, maybe just in ways that doesn't disrupt and, and, and so forth, um, is what Paul is instructing here. So... Um, so in verse 37, oh, do you guys want me to go through that briefly? Uh, okay, yes, I'm going to back up. It's like I'm looking at my t- 12, 20, and then, okay, let's go back. We're good? 
Okay, let's go back here. So here's the way I understand this passage. I'm just going to, again, it's a brief um, um, uh, um, summary of, of what I think Paul is trying to convey here is that the, the church in Corinth is made up of, mi- of mixed Jews and Gentiles, right? Um, and now this is noted in different parts of uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And so it's likely that these gatherings in the church um, the, the church gatherings were uh, maybe the, the seating was synagogue style because of the Jewish influence in the church with women sitting on one side and men sitting on the other side. And that's actually typical today in very conservative, uh, even Christian congregations. You have that to this day. I think that's more Jewish influence in, in, uh, historically in the arrangement of seating in the church. Now, <clears throat> I think what's probably happening in this context is um, the, the husbands and the wives, what was happening, the wives were asking across the aisle, um, husbands' questions during the service, particularly during the time of teaching. And I think that's why Paul says, if there's anything that the, the wives desire to learn, uh, let them ask their husbands at home. So this the, maybe the disruptive chatter between aisles um, would have been dis- disruptive and uh, during the teaching time. And maybe the Gentile women in the church were not as um, comfortable or not as aware of how to interact in the service. Um, and so it was causing some disruption. Um, now, <clears throat> yeah, like I said, Paul says if they desire, if, they, if they, there's anything they desire to learn, I think this was particularly happening during the learning time, during the teaching time, like right now, like questions going back and forth here, disrupting the service. And Paul instructs and says if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. So don't be disruptive for the service in that way. Now, the context here is husbands and wives in the service, right? So it's married, it's in that relationship. Um, and so when Paul says it's shameful for a wife or a woman to speak in the church, um, for who is it? Like, for who is the shameful? Is it for the church? Is it for the wife herself? I think maybe it's shameful for the husband whose wife is speaking in this orderly way. Um, and so that's just a, a brief summary. Um, again, in 1 Corinthians 11, um, we know that there was this instruction for women to cover their heads when praying and prophesying, not necessarily all the time, but at least during those times. Um, and so, um, in the sense that we understand in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy should be weighed. It means that women should be participating in prophecy in settings where there's groups, right? Like right here. And so women should be free to participate in that way in prophecy and, and praying and worship in other ways. Um, but I think Paul is addressing maybe more disorder. Um, and the word silent here is actually connected in, in Paul's instruction to the women back to the word if, if any, um, of tongues when he, when he says... Um, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. And so again, the context is not complete silence because you're, um, you're, you're not silent in the sense you're speaking quietly and addressing the Lord, but you're silent in addressing the whole congregation. And so it's the same word that's used later for silence for women. Again, I think the context here is the disruption of the public assembly in the sense of, of what is going on in Corinth. So, okay, that was a quick run through. Maybe that, maybe that adds more questions. I don't know, maybe it, it, it brings um, other thoughts to your mind, but that's a quick summary of what I think is being said here in this context. Now, um, s- some of my uh, some charismatic friends I have who are more from the Reformed tradition uh, maybe interpret this that um, the, in the context of interpreting prophecy. Maybe the, f- the flow of the passage suggests some of that. Back another personal, uh, another possible explanation of this, but um, yeah, like I shared, I think this is what Paul is trying to say. Anyways, um, Let's go to verse 37. If someone stands up in the Corinthian congregation, right, and says, well, God told me that Paul is wrong, and this is the way it's supposed to be. 
I think that's what Paul is getting at, right? Um, the church was supposed to recognize Paul's authority and that this was God's instruction to Paul for the church assembly, right? And so, yeah, sometimes that can happen. We say, we stand up and maybe there's a previous revelation of what God wants and, and then we go, no, God said, and we try to override it. And I, I think that Paul is trying to address these individuals who are maybe superimposing themselves above the leadership of the church or even the apostolic authority that Paul has in some sense in this congregation. Um, <clears throat> now in verse 39, um, Paul gives a, an interesting instruction. This is the last verse, the second last verse. And he says, uh, do not forbid tongues. Okay. <clears throat> and he says, uh, earnest desire prophecy. I want to just comment on the, uh, do not forbid tongues. Now the, um, the Greek wording here is actually, uh, better translated, you can look at this in your Greek lexicon, but it's more, the word hinder would be a better word. Now, <clears throat> we have to ponder that a little bit because um, what Paul is saying is that we shouldn't hinder the gift of tongues, right? Now, think, if you think of the word hinder, there's many different ways that we can hinder things. And in relation to the gift of tongues, uh, we can hinder the exercising of the gift of tongues by not giving it space in the public assembly. Right? That's hindering the gift of tongues. Um, we can um, hinder the gift of tongues by not encouraging those who have received that gift to exercise it, either privately or even publicly or in prayer meetings. Right? We can hinder the flow of the gift of tongues by not teaching on it publicly and exercising it openly. Right? We can hinder the gift of tongues by telling uh, the church that, no, that's just for your private closet. Right? There's many things we can do to hinder the gift of tongues. Now, another way that we can hinder the gift of tongues. And I feel like as I was even praying through this, praying through this passage and rereading through it, I feel like there's something here that maybe God wants to touch on in some of your hearts, um, is that <clears throat> when we make um, cynical comments about the gift of tongues, or we refer to tongues in a bit of a mocking way, yeah, that is hindering tongues. And if you've done that in your life, you need to repent of it. You need to repent of it because you're hindering the flow of the Spirit through another person to build them up in the Lord. Okay? It's very serious. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit is, is a person. Okay? He's not some, just some force you know, floating around. He's a person and he can, he can be grieved right, by our actions. And so he can be grieved by the things we do. And I feel like some of you, as I was reading to this, I, I don't know, I don't have a single, I don't have an example in my mind. I'm just, as I was reading this, I felt impressed to share it, that maybe some of you have done this. You've grieved the Holy Spirit because you've, in a slightly mocking way, talked about tongues. Okay. Or you've made cynical comments about it to someone who may be praising tongues or, or maybe just about the gift in general. And it, what it's done, what that has done, it's hindered the gift of tongues from flowing in the church the way it's supposed to. And that's, again, it's not, that's very unkind to do because, again, the gift of tongues in a person's life is to build them up in their faith in Jesus. Don't you want that for them? Don't you want that for the next person? Why would you hinder that? Don't you feel that? I mean, even as I'm speaking, I'm not sure if you feel the grief, but I'm feeling it even in my heart right now. Grieves the Holy Spirit. Let's not do that to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's not do that to any particular gift. The tongue, for, some, for example, uh, for, um, for some reason, um, the gift of tongues evokes some of this in us. More than, for example, prophecy or someone being healed. When we see someone healed, it's like, oh, it's amazing. Jesus showed up and healed them. Somehow tongues evokes this sense in us where we have to go a little bit like that. Maybe because it makes us uncomfortable, because it's, we're, it's perceived that we're doing something that it's not up here. And some of us, like myself, and I, 
I, I like for everything to make sense, myself personally. I, I know some of you are that way too. And to pray in something that's unknown and just saying a bunch of things out of my mouth that don't make sense, this is very vulnerable sometimes. Even for me sometimes. I, 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 should, I should say in the past, now it's, I'm okay. I pray in tongues everywhere I go, in the metro station <laughs> and down the road and driving the car and the supermarket. I'm just, because I believe by faith, as I pray in tongues, my spirit is built up and it gives me courage and faith uh, to walk with the Lord. In fact, the gift of tongues as much as uh, transform my life as much as the almost as much as when i came to faith in jesus or maybe just as much it did something in me that builds up my faith to such a degree that i can stand before you today and expound this passage i couldn't do that five years ago that's what the gift of tongues has done for me it's built me up it's given me courage faith uh, authority authority to teach god's word boldness in evangelism boldness in prayer it's a beautiful gift do not hinder the gift of tongues in the church and so again, I want to just circle back around and say, some of you have done that. You've, done, you've um, mocked the gift of tongues a slightly with a slightly mocking tone and said something about it in that way. And you've hindered the Holy Spirit from moving in a person's life freely and to build them up. And, and, you've not, and not only that, you've hindered that gift from uh, flowing through your own life. And so I want to call you this morning just to repentance in that area. Just tell the Lord, I'm sorry. If you've done that, tell the Holy Spirit, even right now where you're sitting, I'm sorry. I will not mock any of your gifts. I will not be cynical about any of your gifts. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to grieve you anymore. Because I know it grieves you. Because all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are beautiful, guys. Think about it this way. God, in his divine sovereignty, in his divine foreknowledge, from the beginning of creation, thought of beautiful ways that he would express himself by his Spirit in the future through his people and his church under the new covenant. And he came up with these beautiful gifts of healing and of, of, of speaking to us to speak to others and this beautiful gift of tongues to build up our spirit and the inner man to be full of courage and faith. All of these things are beautiful. All of them, right? Given by God, created by him, thought of him, by him, and then, and then given to his church to build us up. Isn't that amazing that God thought in eternity past to do that to us now today to help build us up in our faith person and to build up the church? It's so amazing. I look at God and it's, it's amazing. And, and then I think, wow, if you in eternity past have thought of that, to do that for us today, I want to do all, flow in all of that how much ever I can. I don't want to hinder any of that, right? Amen? Amen? Okay. Um, we come to the end of the chapter. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, the last verse, he says, okay, all things should be done decent and in order. Again, Paul's uh, letter here is not, uh, or Paul's instructions here in 1 Corinthians 14 are not legalistic rules. It's about decency and order. It's not even as much about sin and not sin, or right or wrong so much. Paul, yeah, okay, right and wrong, yes, there's right ways and wrong ways of doing it, but it, it's more about God. Paul's heart in 1 Corinthians 14 is decency and in order for the purpose of what? Building up the body and building up our own faith, right? And if things are done decently and in order, that the whole body is built up in the spirit by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Amen. That's, is that what you want as a church? Yes. It can be built up, right? You want the Holy Spirit moving freely, gifts poured out, exercising those gifts, blessing each other and, and building up the body and, and the church expanding. And, you know, I would love to see as a church, just, you know, this church being vibrant, full of life of the spirit and that in, flowing into your community and people coming to know Jesus and more churches planted and, and all the beauty that comes from the, 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 the spirit that moves in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, a church that moves in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, what I want to do is just pray, to conclude um, 
the, uh, this, this teaching this morning, and then we're going to open up for some questions and thoughts and just have some time of interaction. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for your word. Thank you that you are the word, uh, the living word. Um, and thank you for the, just the instructions we have here um, about the beautiful gifts that you to the Spirit want to pour into your body to build us up. Uh, God, I pray that um, you forgive us. Us here is your church and your people for quenching the Holy Spirit. We've done that so many times. I know I've done that so many times. I'm very sorry. I don't want to do that in any measure anymore. Lord, as a congregation, we don't want to, as your people, as your church, we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit from moving among us. So forgive us. And Lord, we don't want to hinder any of the gifts of the Spirit in our midst. We don't want to, like the instruction in your word says here, we don't want to hinder tongues. And so forgive us for our cynicalism at times towards that gift. Yeah. Just give us a softness in our spirit and our heart. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts and show us, show us ways that we've grieved you? You're a person, Holy Spirit, not just some force. There's personality, there's relationship that you're calling us into with, with your, and we don't want to grieve you. We want, want you to, to be full of joy and ministering joy in our midst and, and power and grace and mercy. And that's what we want. We don't want you to be grieved and leave us. So we're sorry for grieving you in any capacity. So we're gonna ask Holy Spirit that you come even today, throughout this day and minister to our hearts and stir us up and pour into us and destroy strongholds and lies of the enemy and pour gifts into our lives and manifest your glory through us. Build up this church, Jesus, for your glory. Holy Spirit, build up this church for your glory, for the, your namesake among the nations, that the peoples of the earth would rejoice because of the goodness of what you're doing here because the good news had reached them because of the spirits working in this congregation. So God, bring, bring your spirit in greater measure here, this church in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's have a time of <clears throat> just thoughts, questions, just interacting with the passage maybe here. Maybe we've gone to certain things and there's been some questions, maybe some clarifications, maybe it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. Or maybe confession. Yes, I just am convicted just by what you mentioned about grieving the Holy Spirit. And I feel like I've done that. I know a couple of years ago, somebody was very close to me, talking to me how she had been speaking in tongues and she spoke in tongues. And I feel like I just kind of passed it off because it made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I didn't really want to hear it. Mm -hmm. And also, um, and I see that that was wrong. And I just want to also confess to the brothers and sisters here, I have a problem with the spirit of criticism and I want to repent of that. It can just be in my mind, but God knows it. Mm. And it's wrong and it's sin. I just ask anyone to forgive me that you, when you felt it, I want to repent of that and be healed. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, 
Anyone else? Thought? Just a question. I think you've maybe touched on it, but you know, as a as a church learns to exercise walking in this and we work together, how do we on one hand overcome the fear of missing it, getting it wrong, or on the other hand, um, not being open to the fact to each other that we could be wrong. Hmm. Not sure all the ways, um, honestly. Um, or, I mean, one way is just humility. Just, it's always good to quickly admit when you're wrong. Instead of deliberate for long periods of time, and so when you've been wrong in something, it's good just to, to admit that right away. As soon as someone points it out to you, just say, yeah, yeah, you're right, that was, that was wrong. And so the more we can have humility, um, the more even that builds trust between us, right? And so I think that maybe that's part of the key. Um, yeah. Eric, do you have a thought? Yeah, it's kind of connected to that, but just a testimony of um, just tongues and just the the awkwardness of it, and especially functioning. I mean, we may have a personal prayer language, but when it comes to functioning for the edification of the body, and so there was this, uh, we're in this fellowship and had this really close friend. I mean, we worked together every day. We knew each other very well. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, we would pray in tongues together a lot as, as a fellowship. And one day we were riding home from work and the Lord kept putting in my heart, tell him that he has the gift of tongues. And I just, I just shirked it off. I was just like, eh, you know, what? Oh, sorry. I don't want, I don't want to do that. You know, like obviously, yeah, he prays in tongues all the time. Like, of course he has the gift of tongues, right? Mm -hmm. We had a two-hour drive, so just over and over, the Lord just kept saying, tell him he's got the gift of tongues. And and again, this isn't a stranger, it's a good friend. And so finally, we were pulling into my driveway, and I was like, brother, listen, the whole way home, I've just been feeling this. And I just said, I just feel like the Lord's saying for me to tell you that you have the gift of tongues. And he started cracking up. And he was just like, you're the fourth person to tell me that. And I always, I, I don't want that. Okay, so there was a, a little bit of, uh, he prays in tongues, but there was this thing in him that, that for the fourth time, God was saying again, like, there's something else for you, right? And so in the context of our community, our fellowship, like, I submitted that to him. And I said, there's no pressure, but I just want you to know that you're free in our context to, if the Lord gives you a tongue, give it. Like, don't worry. Months went by, months and months, right? And then 
one, one meeting, one Sunday. Um, essentially, I could give you more backstory, but I could just feel, I could see him across the room. I, I was just like, I think it's coming. Like, I, I think he's about to do what he, he, and he's just, he's just fighting it. You know, he's just like, and he stands up. He's a quiet guy. He stands up and he just declares this tongue over our people. And something broke in him and in us. And this is connected to just the humility of it, right? So we're committed to the scripture. And here he is. He had proclaimed this tongue and... So we sat and we waited for the interpretation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it was 30 plus minutes that we sat in prayer, waiting. And I was so close to saying, all right, brothers, I I think we just missed it. You know, let's try again next time. I mean, I was just about, and then boom, one of the other brothers began to just weep and he had the interpretation. It was just this, it was a beautiful thing. It, and it was, it was kind of like riding your bike for the, it was like, I felt like we were limping into this. You know, it wasn't just some like, you know, it, it wasn't like polished and, and we were learning, you know, but we had given one another the permission to learn. And so, I don't know, that connects a little bit, but um uh yeah, so I just wanted to testify of that experience. Yeah, thank you, Eric. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah, if we can be <clears throat> um graceful with each other with, with each other in this learning uh, that learning phase, I think that's really important. Also, what I want to mention, sometimes when a, a maybe a more spirit filled renewal comes into a congregation in relation to the gifts, um it might be that a church for a season of time ends up focusing on that. You know, maybe a little bit more than normal. Maybe even for a year or two or three years. Yeah, it's all about the Holy Spirit, all about the gifts, all about learning how to prophesy and, and how to exercise tongues. I don't just say, I'm just calm you down and say, that's okay. <laughs> if we've for 25 years or 20 years neglected something, maybe a year or two of trying to figure it out and do it and exercise it to the place where it becomes normative, where, where this is being exercised in a healthy way in the congregation. It's, it's okay. It's okay to actually overemphasize something for a season. Okay, we'll move past that by the time when we reach the place of health in the congregation and exercising the gifts uh, if, in a f- way of fuller knowledge and understanding, then maybe we can emphasize something after that season, maybe more missions or uh, serving your local community or something else, right? God's going to keep building us up at the church. And, but I want to just calm you down and say it's okay. If some of you feel like this topic, we've been a little bit overemphasized it's okay. It's okay to be in a season in the church when we're learning and growing that something maybe is emphasized a bit more because it's not been emphasized in the past. And even, even if it's okay for a year or two or three until we get to the place where the full mature expression of what Jesus has in his word we're experiencing as a congregation, right? Is that, can we be gracious with each other in that? Give each other space and give yourselves as a congregation space in that, in that process? Right. Yeah, um, there was, yeah. Uh, I do have a question, but first... I just want to say to you, Eric, um, I, I, I listened to a message you preached, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and I listened to it a few times, and it stirred up something inside of me at the time. I was like, you, you, you verbalized 
such a powerful way some of um maybe my own doubts and, and skepticism and i really just wanted to publicly thank you for the way that you have had this conversation in such a inviting way um that hasn't i guess um maybe left those of us that are still trying to grapple with it feel like we're 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 completely missing the boat um so thank you very much i believe that god is 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 using that and um thank you for your time that you spent here but my question is it seems like sometimes there is this tension between spirit and truth I don't think there is a tension, but it does seem like sometimes there is a track record of people that pursue Holy Spirit at the expense of truth. Mm-hmm. And I was, and, and that I think that makes some of us a bit cynical. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, all right. So we we've seen this before, and we know where it goes, and so we'd rather just hold back a bit. Yes, and. Yeah. And let's keep the truth, even though it means we'll probably get less of the Holy Spirit in the meantime. Um, how do you deal? How do you how have you experienced that? And how do you deal with it? Fix that. Oh no. Yeah, I would just say that. <clears throat> let's be gracious to each other in the context of interpreting scripture. Sometimes, sometimes when we've been in more fundamentalistic settings, I'm not referring necessarily to this congregation but some of our backgrounds, we tend to ch- champion truth in a way that maybe what we're pushing and pushing for is not necessarily even the right interpretation of scripture. Right? So sometimes that we feel like truth is being compromised, but can we look honestly at a certain issue and interpret it can we even have the possibility that that particular scripture could be interpreted differently? Because sometimes we think it's truth I'm standing on, but it might just be a particular interpretation of the text. And so let's wrestle with that in the context of truth, I would say. Um, And I've had to do that. Um, I've wrestled with that uh, quite a bit myself, Um, is how do we interpret certain passages? How do I interpret certain passages and live them out in context of my my past, present, and the church as a whole? And it's understanding historically and whatever particular issues that I'm trying to look at. And I try to usually do it from that perspective, the church as a whole, the church historical, the biblical scriptures, and try to interpret something in light of all of that, not just whatever I perceive right here, right now, in my season, my time, my middle church background in the context of interpreting scripture. So, um, So I would just say to that, Maybe when we think, maybe when we think that what we're standing for is the truth, just to look at that in the interpretation of what we think the truth is of a particular situation, um, a particular teaching, and so forth. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that the it's important for the work uh, congregation to be grounded in the truth of God's word and um, to be embracing the working of the spirit. And a personal um, parameter that I have in, in understanding the scriptures and the way I teach the, the scriptures and what I emphasize and what I don't emphasize is 
is a simple uh, framework in which I ask this question to myself and anything I'm looking at is, did Jesus teach it or do it? And did the apostles teach it or do it? And if they did, and they place more emphasis on it, I'm going to emphasize that and I'm going to teach it and do it. If they didn't, um, I'm, I'm probably not going to emphasize that much or do it very much. You know, so for example, an example that runs into is the way we work deliverance, the way we cast out demons from people. Right? So I'm not, I'm not so much into naming demons as a practical example. I don't see that happening in scripture very much. Um, one example, maybe like a legion, and that's numerical, not necessarily a name. Um, and so I personally, I, I don't go off and trying to seek, you know, when I'm praying deliverance for people, certain demons, names, and casting them out. I don't feel like that's what Jesus did or the apostles did. So I just follow this parameter. And so, but again, that doesn't, sometimes when it comes to um, certain teachings that we think are the truth, um, what I've had to do through the last few years is look at some of the things um, I've used to think were the truth and just look at multiple interpretations. And I've changed my perspective. And, and one thing that happened to me in relation to everything I'm teaching is that when I experienced the Holy Spirit's work, I had for years, I'd actually preached publicly and taught publicly the opposite of what I'm teaching this weekend. <laughs> and when I realized I could be so dead wrong about something that I was teaching publicly and speaking publicly and, and teaching people in this particular area, and it had such massive implications in my life, um, then I, I began to realize you know, I'm possibly wrong in some other areas. I'm not saying that I am, but I'm possibly wrong. And so what I want to do is I want to try to look at whatever it is that I've believed up to this point with as much as an unbiased perspective as I can, looking at, again, in the context of Scripture, interpreting Scripture in context with other Scripture, the church historical, and maybe even the church at large today, the way we view that. Um, um, so, um, yeah, again, if that, I hope that helps. So. Uh, Eric, I want to, I, I just feel, I want to share something. Uh, I think the apprehensions that might be among us, if we got such a beautiful example through the teaching we received this weekend on touchy subjects because I did not sense you coming here with an agenda or something to push down people's throats. All I see is a beautiful table spread before us and the invitation is to come and dine. And I think if we can maintain a spirit like that, working through some of the misgivings of this, it'll end up right. And I want to bless you for doing that. And I want to just encourage you to keep keep doing that. God bless you for that. I just did not sense a check in my spirit any time of, I'm here to tell you something once. But you just taught the beautiful truth from Scripture, the clearest I ever heard in many, many years in attending church on the work of the Spirit and the functions of it. Uh, I want to bless you for that. Continue. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I, I want to add something a little bit here, uh, just as a clarification. That this weekend we, we were talking primarily about the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit. We didn't talk about all the other works of the Spirit. The Spirit does all other things also than just pour gifts into our lives and manifest Himself in the miraculous ways. <laughs> he comforts us. He speaks to us. He, he does all kinds of other beautiful things. Right? He can fix the world through us. And so. Um, I want to put that out there too to, to help you understand that the Holy Spirit does other things too. We don't want, so if I had more time, we could go through all those aspects of what 
Jesus talks about in John, John 14 and so forth about the spirits working. And so, but I, I just want to say that our focus is a little bit narrow on that in the topic of the gifts of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit this weekend. I didn't do that to the exclusion of all the other things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense? He does other things too, and we need to look at those things too. And maybe we can in the future, as you as a congregation can, can do that in the future too. So. Yeah. Any other thoughts? What I like to do, maybe in um, in, um, in conclusion of our services, <clears throat> so um, we're, t- t- this morning we're teaching on exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit in context of the assembly. Um, right, so many of us have been having personal experiences, but what about corporate, corporately experiencing the Holy Spirit as working as gifts? That's, I think, Jesus' ideal for his body, right? And so um, what I'd like to do this morning is just open it up for, uh, for, for you. As, what we're going to do here is open up for just, if anyone here senses, those who've been uh, part, part of the leadership team or been part of the ministering in prayer, uh, if any of you sense a word that you feel like God has given you for the congregation. So exercise the gift of prophecy in that sense uh, here publicly. And, that, and, and invite you, what I want you to do is invite you, leaders and those who've been ministering in prayer, to maybe if God has given you something, or even now, we're just, we're just going to pray and ask God to do that, and he gives you something, I want you to come and share that with the congregation. Um, and again, we'll weigh that together. Um, and so um, as, a, as a means just to push us a little bit further, one step further, say, so, okay, individual experience, ministry one-on-one, but what about corporately? So again, we can pray, and God might give something, but he might not, but that's okay. What we're doing is just asking, and we're learning to listen, and then we're learning to step in faith and say, I think this is God is saying. I think this is what God is saying, right? So, but again, we're not going to open it up for everyone necessarily, and um, some of the reason for that is, you know, sometimes there's people who are not necessarily committed to the congregation, or there's maybe visitors or sometimes, um, it, especially in prophecy, if we're prophesying into a place of emotional unhealthiness, that's not good. I'm going to just explain that a little bit. Uh, because the way prophecy works is that God actually works it through us. And even the way we deliver it is connected to our personality and it, our emotions. And so we might receive a word from God, but the way we deliver that is maybe not being delivered in a, in a healthy way that's building up and encouraging the body. Maybe it comes, because we have some criticalness in our heart toward the, towards the church, Maybe God gives us a word, but we deliver it in a form of criticism and it turns people off. You ever experienced that? So, and that's just connected to emotional unhealthiness. And but the thing is, God speaks. God speaks to, to people even if they're not completely emotionally healthy. He does that, right? He even works through that sometimes. Um, but I've also seen where that can just cause pain and, and, and hurt and, and so forth. So just as we begin to step in that, it's, just say, it's better to, to begin to exercise the gifts of the Spirit with those who have been, you know, maybe uh, given the responsibility to minister in the church and to lead in, in some capacity and just lead us forward slowly and gently in that way. And so just opening it up and then maybe sometimes that can cause a little bit of uh, some interesting things developing as, that, 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 as we just open it up and so forth. So yeah, I just want to mention that. Maybe that's what I personally kind of described as been you. It's okay. I'm not even saying that in a condemning way. Just that if, if that's been you in relation to exercising any particular gift or prophecy, just you know, ask the people to pray for you just for healing inside. So you can give what God gives through you in a way that can build people up and encourage them and, and inspire. And, um, and yeah, just recognize if, if that's there. So um, let's do that. So let's do it this morning. Let's just ask God for a word. 
for us as a congregation, as we kind of come to the end of, of these meetings, uh, of the way God wants us to work, walk in, or maybe something wants us to pay attention to, and and then um, we'll share that if God gives something. If not, again, there's no pressure. We just what we do when we hear from the Lord is we just in, um, open ourselves to hear from Him. We we can't make God speak to us. We can't um, do anything to make God give us a word. We just always come to Him with open hearts, saying, "God, would you speak?" Would you minister to me? Would you give me a revelation? Would you give me a word for this person? Would you give me a word for the church? Um, and then he does that. So let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would now come and you would speak to us. Speak to people here in this room. Um, just give us a word. Um, give us a word here. A revelation, a prophetic word uh, for the congregation. Just something that would encourage us, that would stir us up, that bring comfort to us, that would point us uh, in, to move in the right direction. So we invite you, Jesus, by your spirit to speak to us. And we just quiet in our hearts to receive and to listen.